As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, guys? Back for our second NFC South uh, episode as we move our way through our 2023 opponent preview series. We got things kicked off in the NFC South with Rashad Beard from the Panther Nation podcast to, with the Carolina Panthers. Talked a lot about the trade, any buyer's remorse on taking J.C. Horn when they could have had Justin Fields for free instead of giving us four or five draft picks and D.J. Moore to be able to draft Bryce Young uh, this year. Uh, and everything in between. Also talking about how, you know, <laughs> the hopes and dreams the Bears have for Carolina's first-round pick because that belongs to us next year uh, may not be as high as we're hoping for if things all work out uh, the way that Carolina is hoping that they will. But now we move on to uh, the NFC South number two with the Atlanta Falcons. And Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons will be joining us here in just a few moments to talk about them, you know, uh, we ask, I ask him, do any regrets in not taking Justin Fields uh, back in 2021? Because everybody knew that was basically where the 2021 draft started with Jacksonville, the Jets, and the 49ers all set to take quarterbacks at number one, two, and three. The draft started at number four, you know, uh, starting, well, I, I guess it kind of started with San Francisco at three. Who were they going to take? Was it going to be Trey Lance? Mac Jones, maybe even Justin Fields, and instead they went with Trey Lance. And then Atlanta was the first person, was the first team amongst those top four that didn't absolutely need a quarterback. It probably would have been a good idea with Matt Ryan being on his last legs out there uh, in Atlanta uh, and all that kind of stuff. But the Atlanta couldn't pass up on Kyle Pitts or Kylie Pitts. Uh, and, um, you know, while that an athletic freak, he's – Atlanta's not using them the way that they're supposed to be. So any buyer's remorse on that uh, as well. Because they're actually the one team that, um, you know, was in a position to take Justin Fields back in 2021 that didn't take him, that hasn't traded the farm in order to get uh, a quarterback yet. So we talk a bit about that, the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, the rumors about them being attached to Lamar Jackson uh, in this offseason before he signed his extension with Baltimore. Uh, and, and and how Atlanta could possibly be one of the more talent-rich you know, offenses in the league. And, and, you know, they might be in a good position to actually win the South uh, this year. So um, not expecting much from the Buccaneers, especially with their quarterback issues uh, and everything. Now that Brady is retired, handing over to Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask may not be, you know, a great thing. Uh, the Saints look like they're going to be okay. We'll, we'll – uh, you know, we'll actually be talking to our friend Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints uh, on uh, on Thursday to uh, you know kind of flesh that out. But um, you know, the, the Falcons are an interesting team, one that you want to keep your eyes on. So let's go ahead and and dive into this uh, preview with our new friend Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons. This is uh, episode number two of our NFC South opponent preview here on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it.
So here we go. We're moving on with our AFC South preview. Team number two, the Atlanta Falcons. And here to help us preview the 2023 Falcons, a very a team I'm very interested in. From Locked On Falcons is Aaron Freeman. Aaron, thanks for coming on to the show, man. Appreciate you having me. You know, I like to ask the same three questions of guests that we've had on the show for the first time. And those three questions are, where are you from? Where are you now? And your favorite moment as a fan of your beloved Atlanta Falcons? Oh, okay. Well, the, the third question is going to be hard to come up with. Yeah, I'm there, sorry. I didn't give you the heads up on moments. that. Yeah. Uh, it's, all, it's all been miserable. Sure. Um, I am originally from Virginia. Okay. I live in North Carolina now. Okay. And probably my favorite moment uh, of Atlanta Falcons is probably the NFC Championship game in 2016 where the, we absolutely wrecked. The, yeah. the Green Bay Packers. I'm a fan of Julio that moment as well. Ended yeah. Multiple careers right. in that game. Yeah, I enjoyed that day as well. Um, what do you put a 40 burger up on the Packers yeah. that day? Like, what the hell are you guys even doing here? Kind of beating that you gave to them. Yeah, that was, that was good times. I enjoyed that quite a bit myself. So we're simpatico uh, on that one. The reason I asked about the where are you from and where are you now is that I've been doing interviews on the podcast since 2015. And ever since then, it has been the exception that the person that I was speaking to was actually in the market that they represent. And do you, you get Falcons games in North Carolina? Do. Yep. You do. Okay. Is it regular or, do, or when the Panthers are out of town or something like that? It's when the Panthers are out okay. of town pretty much. So are you this, a sports this is, bar this guy? Is a Sunday ticket has ah, come through. Yes, of course. Over the years. But you know, the price of Sunday ticket is, is, is not great. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I have been known to check out in a quote unquote questionable stream on a questionable website rather than fork up the dollars for Sunday ticket each of and course. every year. So, of you course. Know. Yes. Yeah. I, I would not begrudge you that one moment. I can actually help you out with that when we get done with the interview. I can tell you something about that. But anyway. So, but you know, like my like my Broncos gal who I had on back on because we play the AFC West. She's in South Carolina, so not too far from you. My first Miami Dolphins guy was in Colorado, and you know that San Francisco guy lived in Austin, Texas, and so on and so forth. So I'm always interested to see where in the country you know people who are, are dedicated to the fan base actually happen to live. So I'm, that's why I always ask uh, that question. So. These Atlanta Falcons, I was just going over the 2022 schedule and looking at just, it was such a weird, weird year, you know, for you guys. You start with that, you, 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 it looks like you're about to blow out the Saints, only they come back and, you know, steal a win at the end. You, you look like you're coming back on the Rams, but fall short in the end. Then you go on to the row, or actually you were out, you stayed out there, right? They stayed out there. Uh, and, and play the Seattle week three, managed to beat the Seahawks. Then you come home and you beat the Browns. You get screwed in Tampa Bay with that, with that roughing the passer call, uh, you know, that, that gave, the, gave Brady and company extra life in a game that you were coming back in. Then you, you pimp smack the 49ers. I don't even know where that one came from. Then you lose to the Bengals. You get that crazy win over Carolina. You see where I'm going with this? It's just like this season was all over the place. Not to mention that Chargers game, the play, and there was a play in the Chargers game that broke my brain when I saw it happen. I think you know exactly which one I'm talking about, the Austin Eckler fumble uh, and mm-hmm. everything. That was just madness. And, and what was really funny about it was that I watched that game as a, like a condensed version of the game, like 11-minute clip on 
YouTube that the NFL puts out, basically the highlights strung together. And rather than explain that um, when Big Boy from the Falcons just randomly decided to fumble the ball because nobody touched him uh, or anything, and that the, you know the Chargers recovered, rather than explain what had actually happened, it was just Charger ball on the very next play. I was like, wait, so that what, all of that happened? All of that was real? It was just uh, it was crazy. But it was starting with that Charger game is where really things started to go sideways for you guys. Because going into that game, you guys were 4-4 four and four in a division that was very much up in the air at that time. But following the win to, uh, against Carolina, you lose five of your next six before winning the last two games uh, of the season. So what? where did it all go wrong? It's like starting with that Charger game, it basically just went all downhill from there. Yeah, and it's what's funny about that is that stretch of games from like week 10 – to like week 13, we kind of looked at it before the season as like, oh, this is the soft part of the schedule. This is the time where we can rack up some wins. And so the expectation, you know, going into that stretch was with the Falcons in first place, like, okay, now they can really, you know, create some separation between them and, and a team like the Bucks, who everybody assumed would win the division. Right. And shout out to Giselle Bungeon uh, for completely ruining those plans <laughs> by uh, completely ruining Tom Brady's season. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think the main thing, probably the main takeaway that the Falcons would tell you is in that stretch of games, they were looking to try to evolve their offense because they were so run heavy mm. uh, in terms of what they were doing in early in the season. And they were hoping to be a little bit more of a balanced offense. And unfortunately, uh, Marcus Mariota wasn't necessarily able to step up his play during that stretch in order for the team to be as balanced as they wanted to be. They were really struggling uh, with, you know, third downs during that stretch of games. And so they were having trouble sustaining drives on offense uh, because of that. And, you know, you couple that with the defense not necessarily making the strides like they played better over that half overall because I think a lot of that was owed to they weren't playing necessary premium competition mm -hmm. but they just weren't able to get enough stops um, to prevent some of those teams from beating them during that stretch of games uh, and so they played kind of what they played the entire year which was a lot of close games come down to the you know the final possession or two and unfortunately the Falcons just didn't have enough firepower I think in a lot of those games to be able to overcome those issues and win those games late yeah because looking at the looking at the scores 20 to 17 loss to the Chargers um, uh, 19 to 13 loss to the Commanders 19 to 16 loss to the Steelers 21 to 18 to the Saints 17 to 9 these are all one score games before you inch out a win 20 to 19 over the Cardinals and then finally you know, you, you get the win over Tampa Bay at, at the end of the season, 30-17. to 17. It's But that was like the first two-score game since beating San Francisco in week six. Everything else was a one-score game here and there. Well, actually, the Carolina game, 25-15, to 15, I guess, on Thursday Night Football. But that's still, what, seven weeks between the Carolina game and the Tampa Bay game. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So... So, I mean, Arthur Smith, you know, he's he's back. That was year two for him, right? Yes. So we're going into year three. What kind of expectations does he have coming into this year? Yeah, I think, you know, there's been a lot of outside noise this offseason about the Falcons, Arthur Smith being maybe on the hot seat or that seat getting a little warm for him. I don't think that's the case. I think the Falcons are looking at it more as they're in the midst of a rebuild and kind of, Last year was kind of the proof of concept 
for Arthur Smith that like it gave them the confidence moving forward that, okay, if we can get better pieces in here, because the Falcons were dealing with bad salary cap situation, kind of resetting their roster from the Dan Quinn regime, the Matt Ryan era, the Julio Jones era that they had been stuck in the last couple of years and been disappointing. And I think last year showed with Arthur Smith that even with, you know, questionable talent on the roster, like he can find ways to get the most out of that group. Uh, and so I think going into this year, the expectation is the Falcons will take a step forward after two, seven and 10 years and, and get above 500 and be a playoff team. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's the situation that I think a lot of people have been speculating about, which is like it's playoff or bust. And I think that led to a lot of questions throughout the offseason, especially in March, when the Falcons weren't pursuing certain quarterbacks to upgrade that position. Right. Uh, you know, like Lamar Jackson. And I think a lot of people thought, well, they need to win now because Arthur Smith is on the hot seat. Uh, and so the fact that they're not going after a player like Lamar Jackson, who would be, you know, an ideal fit in that offense is, you know, negligent. Uh, I think some people said it, like they don't, they don't want to win. And I think the Falcons don't really feel like the way they're, they're in this for, I think the long haul. And I, I think they see something in Desmond Ritter uh, that they can develop into a, a capable quarterback. And I, I, I tend to agree with them. It's just going to be a question of whether or not we see that come to the fruition uh, this year, uh, as opposed to further down the line. Right. Cause the Falcons are in this kind of uh, almost purgatory because they're, they're not, you know, bottom feeder uh, level of, you know, rebuild or anything. It's more of, I guess, maybe maybe you can call it a reloading as opposed to a rebuilding. But you're also not just one player away, which is why the, which is why not going for Lamar Jackson made sense because Lamar Jackson and you having to trade at least two first round picks and giving him that, you know, forty five million dollar a year contract, if not more on top of that says we're ready to win it all right now and the Falcons are just not at that point just yet but they're also not bottom feeder you know you know uh you know we got nothing going on here we're rebuilding so we're just we're tearing it down to the studs before we build it back up either yeah I would agree with that I, I think you know the Falcons are in a place where they expect and I expect and, and certainly many people in the in their fan base expect them to be a playoff contending team um, but you know, I don't think anybody's expecting this team to go far in the playoffs by any means. Um, and the main reason why the expectation is that they're a playoff continued team is they play in the NFC South and right. there's, it's a bad division. You know, I, I think most people would agree that it's probably the worst division heading into the season, uh, based off of what we've seen so far. Now, of course, that's the beauty of the NFL is it's very unpredictable and, and some divisions that you think are going to stink wind up being very good. Some divisions you think would be great wind up stinking, um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily put my money on on the NFC South emerging as the, the league's best division uh, this upcoming season. So it is one of those things where it's it's wide open. And I think that's what gives the Falcons a lot more confidence if they were playing in another division. Uh, you know, we may not be nearly as confident that this team is a, is a playoff team uh, as we are in the NFC South. Well, I think what also helps the Falcons is that they're in the NFC, period. You know, it, it's, it's, it's obviously the weaker of the two conferences right now, especially with all the firepower on the AFC side with the quarterbacks and, and, uh, and things like that. It's just one big, big old shootout on the AFC side, you know, with Mahomes and, and, and Allen and, and now with Rogers and, uh, and everybody else, uh, over there, the NFC is more wide open, uh, than, than either, uh, conf- than the other conferences, uh, right now. So speaking of, uh, you know, Mariota and the quarterback situation, he's, 
he's gone. I don't think anybody in Atlanta is sad uh, about that uh, right now. Uh, you're going with Desmond Ritter. You bring in Taylor Heineke from from the. I was gonna. Say, I always say. I want to say Redskins. It almost always comes out. Commanders. Uh, to uh, t- uh, now he's backup, right? He's not competing with Ritter, with Ritter for the job. Yeah, the the expectation is it's Ritter's job, uh-huh. and Heineke was told that he's being brought in to be the backup. But you never know. You know, right. you, you never know if, if if Ritter stinks up the joint in 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 the summer and Heineke's balling out, then you know the Falcons might have to rethink that strategy. But uh, assuming nothing crazy, you know, I don't know how crazy that would be. But um, you know, assuming nothing like that happens this summer, then it is Ritter's shop. Yeah, a lot of interesting signings, mostly on the defensive side. For you guys, bringing in Jesse Bates from Cincinnati, uh, Dave, is it David Oyamata, yeah. from the from the Saints coming in? Calias Campbell, who's a hundred years old but can still rush the passer, so God bless him. Bringing in Mike Hughes, Bud Dupree, more pass rushing help on on that end. Uh, Trey Flowers as well. You re-sign Caleb McGarry. Uh, you you bring in Mac Hollins to to add a little something to the offense there. You know, pretty interesting signings. Anybody that that you were especially excited about to see come in this year? Yeah, you know, there's a couple of, you know, Jesse Bates, I think, is going to be expected to be kind of the quarterback of the defense. Uh, And he's been one of the better safeties in the league the last couple of years. Uh, You know, had an all-pro season in 2020. You know, hasn't quite lived up to that the last couple of years. But, you know, talking with Bengals uh, folks and, and watching the film myself, it wasn't because his play dropped off. It was just he just didn't get as many opportunities to to make some of those, you know, turnover and interceptions that lead to, you know, getting those some of those uh, postseason accolades. Uh, the other two players, I think Caden Ellis, the linebacker they picked up from the Saints, and Jeff Akuda from the Detroit Lions. Um, oh, that in the know, trade. Ellis, That's right. Yeah, you guys traded for him. Yeah. You know, and what's interesting about Ellis is Ellis was very productive as a pass rusher for the Saints playing that off ball linebacker role. Um, and the hope is kind of that he's going to be able to pick up where he left off in the second half of last year, where he was one of the better linebackers in the league just over those last eight games because of that pass rush ability. And that's going to be a big reason why the Falcons pass rush, which has been historically bad the last couple of years, uh, will make a, a major leap in addition to some of those veterans that you mentioned. Um, and then with Akuda, you know, he hasn't quite lived up to being that number three overall pick from a couple of years ago. And some of that's owed to injuries. But I think last year when he got the chance to be on the field, he showed that he was a capable cornerback. Right. And whether, you know, whether he's going to turn into one of the best corners in the league, that was kind of the expectation coming into league. I, you know, I don't know if I'm buying any stock on that anymore at this point in time, but I still think he's capable of being one of the better number two corners in the league and opposite AJ Terrell, who has, you know, been, was a little up and down last year, but um, at his best is, is one of the best corners in, in the NFL and it showed that throughout 2021. And I thought played much better in the second half of last year than he did in the first half of last year when he gave him a couple of uh, touchdowns in, in some major games. Um, you know, I think that's a really solid young duo of corners that has a lot of potential uh, to be one of the better duels in the league uh, should Akuda live up uh, to some of those expectations and AJ Terrell can kind of bounce back and be that type of all pro corner that we've seen him be at times. So uh, those are some of the un- intriguing additions that, you know, the Falcons are making some relatively big bets on some of those guys that have, you know, some degree of risk with them, but, you know, have the potential to pay off, with a, a big reward as well. Right. 
Anybody on the free agent losses list that you're particularly going to miss? Because I'm seeing a lot of uh, a lot of Bears cast-offs that Ryan Pace brought with him when he came to town. And uh, Abdullah Anderson, Demir Bird, Elijah Wilkerson, Jermaine Afidi, all going to be playing elsewhere in 2023. Anybody out there that you're particularly going to miss uh, that got away? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think the two that stand out that – you know, are more role players than anything. Um, Isaiah Oliver, who signed with the San Francisco 49ers, was a, a good nickel cornerback for the Falcons. And that is a question mark for this team right now. They have, they drafted Clark Phillips in the fourth round. They picked up a, a CFL guy in D. Alford uh, last year. They signed Mike Hughes, and those guys are going to compete for that spot. Um, but, you know, Oliver was a, a much more known commodity there. Uh, and so I, I think that's, Fair to question if the Falcons are maybe taking a step back there at that position while they hopefully can take a step forward at the other cornerback spots. And then, you know, Elijah Wilkinson and Chuma Adoga were two sort of solid pieces for them. Wilkinson was a solid left guard for them. Uh, now they're replacing him with Matthew Bergeron, and the hope is that Bergeron, their second-round pick, will be better than Elijah Wilkinson. But having a player like Elijah Wilkinson as a backup, to me, would have been a, a very smart player to retain for the Falcons yeah. because it at least gives you a, a known floor for what you're getting at that position. And Chuma Doga, um, who started a game last year at left guard uh, and was the team swing tackle um, last year, um, wound up going to, I think, Dallas. And the Falcons have a hole at that backup tackle position. And uh, I'm sure you're aware that, like, you know, that can be the drop off from a capable starting left tackle like a Jake Matthews to, you know, replacement level backup can be a massive step back for your offensive line and and not having at least a more proven option like a Chuma Adoga, I think could be detrimental to this team this year. Should, you know, they deal with injuries a little bit more on the offensive line than they have in the past. So while those aren't the splashiest, flashiest names that the Falcons could have lost, I think two really solid, you know, depth pieces on the offensive line and a really solid nickel corner uh, in Isaiah Oliver were, uh, you know, two of the three of their major losses. Right. So moving on to the draft and before we dive into the class, you alluded to Bergeron being the second round pick guard out of Syracuse. Um, The Falcons uh, are one of those teams that in the 2021 draft passed on Justin Fields. You couldn't pass on Kyle Pitts. You had to go with him. He was, probably the number one prospect overall in the draft with his athleticism and, and just the freakish things that he did uh, in Florida. And in back-to-back off-seasons, you guys have kind of dodged a bullet in in sending off a Kings. I mean, I don't think the Falcons are even in a discussion about Lamar Jackson, but you were neck deep in the Deshaun Watson race there for a bit. And in back-to-back off-seasons, you've, uh, you've lucked out in not having to be that team that has given uh, given up a Kings ransom to find their next quarterback um you know you're going with with Ritter who's a what a third round pick or is he a yeah third Third round round. and um you know the funny thing is you of the teams that passed on fields and and all the hurdles that had to be cleared just so that put the Bears in a spot to trade up for them all those other teams the Broncos the uh the Broncos and the Panthers in back-to-back off seasons have given up a King's ransom to trade up for the quarterback they could have had for free, you know, three seasons ago, you know, Kyle Pitts is more of a, you know, they're not using him properly. He's also had some injuries kind of thing. Any regret not taking 
the quarterback in fields would have been a homecoming for him too on top of it all you know hindsight being 2020 should the falcons have taken fields at four and had their quarterback or you know is it is it it is what it is and we're going forward with what we got kind of thing yeah i mean i've, I've been on both sides of this because i thought they should have taken fields in 2021 sure because you know getting the most important position uh in in the in in the sport right yeah. you know is valuable um but now i'm, I'm kind of on the opposite end like I, I don't have any buyer's remorse or, or regret you know given the ups and downs that fields have had in chicago I, I thought very highly of him but he hasn't quite lived up to my expectations uh of what he would be in the nfl so far now obviously i, I know you know for the bears there's alternate factors that you know the supporting cast around him yeah. has been very very questionable over the last two years so it may not have allowed him to put his best foot forward but i sit here and, and right now i i you know i don't see why justin if you put justin fields on this team instead of desmond ritter would the falcons be dramatically better today than they are with ritter I don't I'm not convinced that that's true right now. I think this year we'll we'll learn a lot about Desmond Ritter. We'll learn a lot about Justin Fields. And so, you know, if you ask me this question six months from now, we'll have a much more definitive (laughs) answer on whether that's true or not. But sitting here today, I I don't have as much regrets about the Falcons decision to pass on Justin Fields. It's funny you say that because we don't play until December 31st. So, yeah, six months from now is when I plan on talking to you again. So we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll 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 hold the receipt on that one, and we'll ask you going into week seventeen, when basically every question I'm asking you now will be decided pretty yeah. much by that point. But you know, I've just been finding it interesting that you know the basically when the when the when the twenty twenty one season or the twenty twenty season ended, number one without a without a shadow of a doubt, that's Trevor Lawrence. He's going to Jacksonville. That's it. And then day one of the off season. Justin Fields was number two going to the Jets. Well, during that process, they fell in love with Zach Wilson. Then the 49ers traded up to number three. It was either going to be Mac Jones or, or Trey Lance. For whatever reason, Justin Fields was never in the discussion there. And then the Falcons were the first team that, you know, were were in, is still in line for a quarterback, but weren't, you know, going, weren't one, two, and three. You know, the question was the draft starts at four. With the Falcons, is it going to be another quarterback or is it going to be Kyle Pitts and then so on? Cincinnati was the first team that didn't need a quarterback. Then you had Miami, who had two of the year before. The Rams just traded, uh, you know, Stafford away and had Goff. They didn't need a quarterback. And then eight Carolina, nine Denver, and so on. But and Carolina and Denver have traded for their quarterbacks and, and given up a ton. Uh, at the same time. So just kind of looking back at all the things that had to kind of fall into place for the Bears to even be in a spot to go. That's why it kind of feels destined with Fields. But, um, you know, you were mentioning that, you know, you're not convinced about Fields yet. There's still a lot of on-the-fence people about Fields now in Chicago. And I think that now that he actually has weapons, that we've reinforced the offensive line, we've added a second tight end in Robert Tunyon, if 2023 goes the same as 2021 and 2022 did, then, yeah, I think some shine will be off the apple and there will be a lot of pressure put on polls and the Bears to use that second first-round pick that we got from Carolina to package them up and, and trade up to go get 
Caleb Williams or, or local guy for you, Derek May, uh, out of North Carolina or something. So I think the Bears are in a good spot either way. We put a position, we put Fields in a position to answer those questions this year, and if he doesn't, we've got ammunition to kind of resolve that issue uh, next year. But back to the draft for, for this year. Going into it, again, lots of talk about the you know Falcons and – Will they take a quarterback? Will Will Levis, you know, you know, fall to them? And if he does, what will they do? There was all the talk about Bijan Robinson, and in the end, it ended up being Robinson. Is 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 Atlanta more of a best player available, or was he just like that can't miss prospect that probably shouldn't have been there at eight, and there he was, so you had to take him? Yeah, I think they they preach the best player available, sure. right? And a lot of teams preach it, but don't really follow through on it. Um, and I, I thought it was, you know, Bijan was a player that pretty early on in the offseason we had identified on Lockdown Falcons as a potential option for the Falcons. Um, but it was just going to be a question of would there be other players of more pressing needs, like a, a pass rusher, like a Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech or a Will Anderson out of Alabama. If one of those guys was there, the assumption was, hey, they'll take him. And Going into the draft, I thought it seemed like the the luster on Tyree Wilson had fallen enough where he might slide to the Falcons at eight. He wound up going to seven right. uh, to the Raiders, so got close there. So I think it just became obvious for the Falcons. B. John Robinson was widely held as one of the three to five best players in this draft class. And, you know, in a draft class that didn't necessarily have as many blue chip talents at the top and, and then kind of the, the one that was there, Jalen Carter out of Georgia had some – off-field question marks that I think made several teams and why several teams that were D-tackle needy, including the Bears, and wound up, you know, several of those teams wound up drafting D-tackles later in the draft, but also passed on Jalen Carter. And so I think that kind of told you that teams were a little iffy on on some of that off-field stuff uh, with Jalen Carter. He winds up going to Philadelphia, which is basically the perfect environment for him to basically make all those teams regret that decision uh, in a couple of years. But um, I, I think for the Falcons, it was it was basically like Bijan's a safe pick. We know what he can do. He's an offensive weapon. We kind of need that. We're a run first offense, uh, and so he'll be featured much more uh, in this offense than he probably would be in a lot of other offenses. Uh, and so the idea of taking a running back uh, in the top ten was less of an issue for a player of Bijan Robinson's caliber, who a lot of people think is one of the best running backs to come out in the last five, 10 and even maybe 15 years yeah. uh, in a lot of folks eyes. And you put him in a, in an offense that will be built around him. He's not necessarily going to be like a, a complimentary piece. He's going to be kind of the centerpiece of this offense uh, moving forward. Uh, and then you couple that with, you know, a draft class that just didn't have, that many blue chip prospects and then some of the few that did had some major question marks around them. It just became kind of like, this is a layup type of, of draft pick, you know, maybe five years from now when it's time to pay B. John Robinson, the Falcons may regret that decision right. uh, or whatever, but like, that's a, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it five right. years from now, as opposed to worrying about that. Now, now it's just like, Hey, can we just win some games and, and play some meaningful football in January? Right. And we'll worry about that other stuff, you know, down the road. Yeah, because it, it's it's a rare occurrence now with Bijan Robinson and where he went. Um, that doesn't happen as often in the NFL as it used to. I mean, you you think about drafts like with um, that Ronnie Brown um, draft where it was like you know him and Mercedes or Cadillac, not Mercedes, Cadillac yeah. went like two and three or something yeah. like that in the draft. Like you don't see that anymore. It's a very rare thing for every Ezekiel Elliott that gets taken fourth 
overall, you get a team like the Bears that keep finding, like Montgomery was a third-round pick, and that's the highest that we've used on a running back in a long time. Jordan Howard was a fifth-round pick. Tariq Cohen was a fourth-round pick. Rashawn Johnson, who we're real excited about, was a fourth-rounder. And our starting running back right now, um, Khalil Herbert, is a sixth-round pick. So there's a half dozen of those for every Bijan Robinson or Leonard Fournette or Ezekiel Elliott that uh, that teams take chances on. And those are guys that were absolutely men amongst boys in college that put them in that position. It's like just being a solid, steady running back, which is what everyone says Rashawn Johnson is, puts you in day three in the fourth round and not, you know, top ten and or making it into the the first rounds. I mean, go back and look at the drafts in the 90s where you're seeing six, seven, eight running backs being taken in the first round. It's like if you remember a uh, running back from Michigan, Tim Biakabatuka got taken in the first round by the by by Carolina, you know, like like number 26 overall or something like that. You don't see that uh, happening uh, anymore. So it's it's uh, it's interesting that, you know, Bijan Robinson, it, you know, being especially as he was in college, you know, getting that top 10, you know, draft sp- spot uh, in, in, a, in an era where that doesn't really happen much uh, anymore. So we talked about Bergeron. Is he in line to start right now or is he just the favorite to start? He's the favorite, right? Okay. They, they have uh, their third round pick from 2020, Matt Hennessy, who they thought would be their long term center when they drafted him. Uh, his first year as a starter in 2021 didn't go quite as well. He got beat out last year by their 2021 fourth round pick, Drew Dolman, for the starting spot. Seems like Dolman has that center spot on lockdown this year. And so Hennessy will get a shot to start at left guard. He did get like two or three starts late in the season and was pretty solid in those uh, games. But, um, you know, I don't know if the Falcons are as committed to him long-term uh, in, in that regard. So he's more of kind of keeping the spot warm until they think Matthew Bergeron is ready. And if if Bergeron shows that he's ready in training camp this summer, I think it'll be Bergeron's job. Uh, but, you know, Hennessy is a solid veteran that at least can allow you to tread water at that position until Bergeron's ready to go. So everybody but your last pick, uh, Jovan Wynn, uh, a guard out of South Alabama, was – Big time, you know, top five uh, school. Uh, DeMarco Hellams, a South, uh, a safety from Alabama, in the your other seventh round pick. Clark Phillips, the third, a corner out of Utah, uh, in the fourth round, and then Zach Harrison, defensive end out of Ohio State. Is he going to be a rotational guy? You expecting any kind of impact from him being a third round pick? Yeah, I think the the hope is that he'll grow into the long term replacement for Calais Campbell playing more of that DN role this year. Uh, Campbell himself termed it as the Cam Jordan role in the defense with uh, defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen coming from the Saints uh, in terms of incorporating that style of defense into it. I think Harrison is the long-term piece for that envision for that role down the road, but I think in year one, he's more of a rotational player. Uh, Clark Phillips, as I mentioned earlier, is probably going to be competing for the starting nickel spot, but it seems like he'll probably be right now. The, the buzz is that D offered the, their CFL pickup last year that kind of was in and out of the lineup last year as their nickel um, is the front runner to win that job as of today, but we'll see how it all plays out in training camp. And then Helms uh, will probably play primarily special teams and add some depth 
at that safety position. They have a lot of more coverage oriented safeties and, and Helms his value is mostly uh, his ability in run support. So he, he brings a, a little bit of a different energy to that room uh, that is, is needed, but he'll probably just be asked to play special teams and Javon Gwynn will probably be a depth guy. And I, I imagine he'll kind of be the long-term replacement for Hennessy as that sort of, you know, dual center guard backup that can step in uh, in the event of an injury. Uh, so mostly depth pieces uh, in terms of the rest of their draft class, in terms of what they'll do in year one. But with guys like Harrison and Phillips, I think there is some hope and optimism that, you know, a year or two down the road, they can be uh, contributors as starters. Sure. Sure. Anybody in the undrafted free agent class that you guys are particularly you know, keeping an eye on going into camp, maybe not someone you're exactly excited about, but definitely, hey, this guy might surprise the people in camp. Yeah, I mean, because the Falcons, you know, out at the wide receiver position have a lot of question marks there. It's like it's basically Drake London and then what else? Um, so there's an opportunity for some of these young receivers, I think, uh, over some of the other position groups to kind of emerge. And so the one uh, is Keelan Harris out of uh, Oklahoma Baptist, I think, a oh, Division okay. two school. Um, in, you know, one of those quick, um, you know, sort of slot receivers. And it's only notable because the Falcons just had one of those guys in Alameda Zacchaeus who signed with the Philadelphia Eagles, but he was uh, a couple of years ago, a undrafted free agent at a UVA. Uh, and, and so like Harris gives a little bit of those Zacchaeus vibes and, um, Zacchaeus was kind of their de facto number two receiver last year. And so the, I, I think there's some hope that maybe, maybe just maybe, uh, Keelan Harris can kind of fill those shoes uh, moving forward if they can develop them. All right. So let's move on to the to the actual schedule uh, itself, looking forward to this uh, 2023 season. It looks like you got the AFC South and obviously the NFC North, because that's why we're talking uh, right now. So not, uh, you know, AFC South, probably one of the weaker divisions uh, in the AFC, especially with all that firepower. Uh, on that side uh, of the uh, of the conference, um, so but you know every one of them has kind of upgraded in one degree or another. Like two of the, well, possibly three if Levis can beat out um, what's his name at quarterback. You'd be facing you know Levis, Stroud, and um, Richardson uh, at quarterback uh, out there. So I mean it's a uh, it's an interesting schedule, you guys. Uh, have starting with back-to-back home games you got the Panthers and then the Packers so two new quarterbacks right off the bat in Stroud uh at home of you know against Carolina and then at home you're you're bringing in Jordan Love uh from the uh from the Packers hopefully after we've just beaten the hell out of him week one uh we'll soften him up for you how's that sound appreciate that all right cool cool then you go on the road you're at Detroit then you head overseas uh, to play the Jaguars. Are you a fan of the overseas games? They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, you grow accustomed to certain things that you, you hate things. Like, this is the, the nature of the NFL. You hate it at first, and then yeah. you grow accustomed to it, and it's fine. And right. And you just get, you deal with it. Yeah, I, I, I feel that way. I'm, I'm, I'm a self-professed uniform snob. So I, I find that, that that's how my attitude is with most of the uniform upgrades did you see the the lion's new helmet that they announced I today i did uh i love the color the the blue hate yeah. the logo it looks like some yeah. kindergarten and i understand it's a classic like old logo they're what's old is new again kind of thing but it looks like a kindergartner drew the logo on the side of the helmet it looks absolutely awful 
Yeah. Absolutely awful. I, I, I had the same conclusion. I was like, yeah. I, I love the color. I love what you're going for yeah. with the color and, you know, with the grays and, and on the uniforms. It, it It's a nice contrast, but the logo completely throws it off. Off. It's just, it's, it's so bad. But nonetheless, you know, it just, um, yeah, I mean, I've I, I thought Thursday Night Football was great when they first announced it, but now I'm I've grown to be not a fan of it like at all. And am I am I looking at this right? Are you guys one of the four teams that doesn't have a primetime game this year? Yeah, no yeah. Thursday Night game, um, no no primetime game. Right. No, we're hoping we're hoping. Yeah, maybe, maybe you get flexed those, into one. Sure. Yeah, those divisional games late in the season. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get flexed, or you know, maybe against the Bears. Maybe who knows? Maybe why not? Um, yeah, but um. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was you and and I think the Colts were one of those other teams. It was uh, an interesting four teams that weren't uh, that the NFL doesn't want the the rest of the world suffering with or whatever the motivations <laughs> were there. Um, but you know, nonetheless, you got the then you're at Jacksonville. Then you got this two two and two thing going for the first eight games. Two games at home, Carolina, Green Bay, two on the road. Well, I mean, it's a road game for both teams. I don't care what anybody says. That Jacksonville game. In the UK, two home games: Houston and Washington. Then two more on the road: Tampa Bay, first matchup there, and then at Tennessee uh, before home for the Vikings at uh, at Arizona before Week Eleven. And Week Eleven, I think that's a good area to have the the buy in. A little bit later in the season, not dead center in the middle of the uh, schedule. Week Eleven seems good. The Bears have for the second year in a row have to wait till like Week Fourteen uh, for our buy. Uh, this year, where do you where do you fall on that? Yeah, I like that week eleven buy. I like the fact that the Falcons won't have their buy so early in the season after the London game, um, and you know that has been something that several teams have done the last couple of years. The last time the Falcons played in London was in twenty twenty one. They did have their buy that was like I think week five or something like that mm-hmm. around then. Um, and you know we've seen some teams since then go overseas and come back and play the next week. And it hasn't been as detrimental as I think people would assume it would be. So I'll be curious to see if the Falcons can be another team that can win a, a game, you know, with jet lag the following week yeah. uh, after that Jaguars game. Yeah. Cause I was, I just uh, was just doing my chiefs uh, interview the other day and I was like, the chiefs are actually kind of the exception to the rule now. Cause it used to be, like etched in stone, you go overseas, you get a buy the following week, and that was kind of like a favor the NFL felt they were doing for the teams and having the jet lag and the time difference and all the rest of that stuff. But they've been giving the teams the option, and more times than not, they elect not to take the buy after the uh, after the overseas trip. And like you said, would a week four buy? Like who wants to do one that early? Uh, in the season I mean unless you've actually just been decimated by injuries for the first month of the season you don't want that break that early on in the season the last time the Bears went overseas in 2019 we played the Raiders week four we had a week five bye you know after that or week five or week six whichever one it was but it was way early uh, in the season uh, in that year so yeah I'm not a big fan of that but the the Chiefs are the the exception where they're the team that is actually when they go over to Berlin where they refuse to play the Bears and they play the play the Dolphins, they've got the bye week after they go overseas. So, uh, you know, and then, like you said, the Falcons week four in the U.K., but no bye week till week 11. So, uh, yeah, that that's pretty much more the norm these days. And when the NFL is like, you know, we got you going there over this time, do you want your bye here or do you want it later on? More times than not, people elect taking on later on in the in the season these days. So, um. So after the bye, 
Home for the home for the Saints, which uh, looks like will that be no that no it will be your first matchup with the Saints week twelve, uh, coming off the bye, at the Jets so you get to see good old Aaron Rodgers uh, up close once again, um, and then you got Tampa Bay, then at Carolina, home for the Colts, then coming to Chicago in December or practically January December thirty first. Um, I wouldn't recommend that, bro. That's not a good idea for for a dome team to come into Chicago in in late December, early January, uh, kind of thing. I just just traditionally that doesn't usually work out well uh, in those types of situations. The NFL did you guys no favors there, but then you get to warm up and go to the Saints for Week 18 in another dome to kind of finish out the uh, finish out the year. So when you got a good look at the schedule, well, number one, were you bummed no primetime games this year? Did that matter to you at all? I didn't expect it, so it, it, you know, yeah, it, it didn't really bother me that, that much. I, I figure the Falcons have to, you know, they've been so irrelevant the last couple of years that they have to basically prove they're good before, you know, the schedule makers are like, yeah, we're going to give you a Sunday night or a Monday night game. Yeah, um, you know, that would be part of the whole trend of like they only put bad teams on Monday night or whatever. That has been <laughs> the case for most of the last couple of years. Although I feel like last year wasn't as bad as it had been in previous years. But, well, I think yeah. that was uh, part of the deal in getting Buck and Ankman to join uh, ESPN to do Monday night was like, we're not going to be the trash bag game of the week anymore. <laughs> yeah. So you guys need to lean on the NFL to get us some, some good games. Cause I'm not going to spend the whole season calling you know the the Texans versus the Browns or something week in and week out and you you need to give me some juicy matchups and I think that's what uh what ESPN is you know kind of lean on the NFL it's like hey we're paying each of these guys like 15 mil a season to call these games I want a little more you know return on the investment and get some better matchups uh on Monday night and I think that's what's what's going on uh over there uh these days and and whatnot and and Maybe I just kind of heard this, or maybe it was something that Joe Buck said in passing in an interview, but aren't, I know that they're flexing Thursday night games, which I absolutely hate, but is there any truth? Do you know that they might be flexing games on Monday night? Because I think Joe Buck kind of mentioned that in an interview, like saying that at some point they're going to be flexing games to Monday night, so they're really going to have some premium matchups from time to time. Have you heard anything like that as well? Yeah, I've heard that rumor. I don't, I don't recall if that's in place this year. Yeah, but yeah, that, that does feel like we're heading in that direction if we're not there yet. Yeah, I don't think we are because I, I, they've been out front with the whole you know uh, flexing the Thursday night and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And the only place that I ever heard the flexing on Monday night was when Buck mentioned it in that interview. I think he was talking to Rich Eisen or something. Yeah, uh, like that. But um, you know, so anyway, I, I I didn't pay that much attention to the the different flexing things because the Falcons probably is not going to affect the Falcons so I was just like sure whatever whatever you guys decide you yeah. decide I'm well you know what it's, it's I won't have to worry uh, about it I, I kind of wish the NFL would adopt that just a little bit for the Bears it's fun to see them play on Monday night or uh, Sunday night football or whatever but I wish the NFL would have pumped the brakes on every Bears Packers matchup and Lambo has to be on national television you know i would have appreciated if we could have moved a couple of those to like sunday at noon or god forbid the afternoon matchup on fox or something like that like you know yeah tons of people are going to see it but it's not the only game on tv right now that everyone has a choice to watch it or don't uh kind of things like i really wish we could have skipped some of those beatings on national tv let them be Conti flashbacks oh god damn it <laughs> 
<laughs> those three words. You I just, just love saying that to Bears fans. Chris Conti flashbacks. Uh, it's, it, they all have the same reaction. Chris Conti. Oh. Yeah, that one stings. And my, you know, my fans, uh, my listeners love to tease me because I hate the orange jerseys. Mm-hmm. Hate them. So I double hated the orange jersey, orange helmet combo we wore on Thursday night. But, um, you know, my, 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 my listeners like to tease me like, hey, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas this year. I'm going to get you an orange Chris Connie jersey, you know, and it's like, yeah, and then I'll film it, film me burning it. You know, if you send that to me, I swear to God, I will burn this if you send it to me. But, um, yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's a button of mine for sure. It is because it's like, oh, God. <laughs> Throughout the entire rest uh, of the interview, it's been ten years, bro. You ten years, and it's just <laughs> you just picked a picked a scab on that one. Man, that one sucked so bad, so bad. We had them right where we <laughs> fourth and forever, and guys wide open, like oh yeah, and you just see Conti flat footed dude runs right past him. I'm like yeah, all right, oh how dare you, bro? Seriously, man. <laughs> Had to do like he never played for you guys. Why do you have to do that? You know, like you're giving it back to us for the years that he was screwing up with you. And in fact, he was in your division for a while, sucking it yeah. up with with Lovey and the, with the Buccaneers uh, and everything. So Chris Conti is near and dear to my heart for for those years at Tampa Bay. <laughs> uh, my favorite play of Chris Conti's was actually his last play as a professional when he got spiked into the seventh layer of hell and on that uh, was either a Monday night or a Thursday night game against the Steelers. And yeah. uh, base dude kind of spiked him right into the ground and concussed him, and that was it. And he never played again uh, after that. So, um, yeah. Not only was he somebody that I wasn't a fan of when he wore a Bears uniform, he also said one of the stupidest things I've ever heard uh, in an interview, or read, I should say. He said that um, basically, you know, playing in the NFL is worth having CTE later on in life. So, like, the fact that you would, you know, get to a point – with the you know the disease and everything like that, we basically wouldn't remember who you were or what you did. And my response to that, just because I was I was so pissed off, it's such a stupid thing to say. Was like, yeah, if I was Chris Conte, I wouldn't want to remember it either. You know, like that's how stupid that was. That's how much he pissed me off by saying something like that. You know, like some guys they play the game and they're just unlucky. They're one of those people. Some people can take a million shots and they're going to be fine. And some guys couple concussions here and there and then when they're later on in, in life they don't remember who they are who their kids are their wives and it's, it's just a raw deal that some players get and this guy's talking about like it's some kind of battle scar you know it's absolutely ridiculous ridiculous so anyway let's wrap up real quick with the falcons when you had a look at the schedule how did you feel uh, about it because from the end of the season we know who we're playing. We know where we're playing. And the schedule, when it comes out, basically just tells us when we're playing. So as the schedule unfolded for you, how did you feel about it? Uh, it felt pretty good, as you say. Like, you know, there's a couple of games on the schedule, a couple of opponents on the schedule that you know ahead of time. But how you feel about your ability to win that game kind of depends on where when that game is played. Like, you know, if you're going on the road, against the Bears in September, you feel probably a lot different about it than you are if you're doing that, you know, on uh, New Year's Eve or whatever. So a couple of things that kind of stood out there for the schedule that may have adjusted my expectations uh, for the schedule. But for the most part, I felt pretty good about the Falcon schedule. It didn't feel, you know, too 
hard on them, too soft, you know, set up for success. It just kind of wasn't uh, a sort of even schedule. I know certain things have come out that, you know, people put together things about like rest days and all this stuff that, you know, that's, that's above my pay grade or whatever. I just look at it straight up like, Hey, you know, are you better than this team that you're playing? Are you on the road? That sort of thing. So I, I think the schedule sets up for the Falcons to do well. I think if they can come out early in the season, cause I think it's, it's a little softer up front mm-hmm. that they can be in a position where, you know, before, you know, hopefully, you know, you're not dealing with injuries, but you know, those tend to come a little bit more later in the season that, as they accumulate throughout the season. So I, I think the, the Falcon schedule sets up for, there's a chance for them to come out hot and, and, yeah. and really build up uh, a, a firm grip on the NFC South division. And it will be going into the second half of the season, you know, coming out of that bye week, it will be their division to lose or, or, or to win at that point in time. So I think the schedule sets up well for that. Yeah, because four of the seven games at the end of the after the bye week, four of the seven games are division games. So, out of those ten games you play before the bye, you got Carolina week one, you got Tampa Bay week seven. Other than that, it's all all of your I think all of your AFC opponents except the Jets and uh, you know everybody else. You know, and then in week week twelve, Saints, week fourteen, Buccaneers, week fifteen, Carolina, and then week eighteen you finish off with the with the saints. So there's not going to be a lot of room for error when you guys come off of that, uh, come off of that buy Cause it's all conference games and, you know, division games, uh, after the, uh, after the bye week. So those are all games that are going to count quite heavily, especially with, with playoffs just right around the corner. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think the, you know, like floor ceiling, uh, thing is for the, for the chargers or chargers? I'm sorry. I'm looking at anyway. For the hey, Falcons. Look, you're year. not the first person to confuse the Chargers and the Falcons, given <laughs> the way that they have historically found ridiculous ways to lose football sure, games. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. uh, th- th- I got started thinking about a Falcon fan I was talking to recently and how he lives in California, mm-hmm. and we were telling him, me and some other Falcon fans, don't be a Falcon fan. Just be raise your son, raise your son to be a Chargers fan because he'll get the Falcon experience, but maybe not the same <laughs> level of heartache. Um that is, but anyway, your question was what, what was your question? Again? <laughs> I'm sorry. Floor, oh, floor ceiling, right? floor ceilings on yeah on I, win I, I losses. Feel like they they should be they they shouldn't be. Let's say that they shouldn't be worse than they were last year. So I feel like their floor is another seven in ten type of year where sure. again they're in every game they're competitive, but they just don't have the juice to get over the hump and and win those games. Uh, but I do feel like because of the expectations that they'll get a little bit better quarterback play out of Desmond Ritter, the pieces around him are going to be a little bit better and the defense should go from one of the worst defenses in the league to at least middle of the pack that they should be able to close out a lot more of those games. And so I could see them, you know, having a bunch of those one score games once again this year, but because of having a little bit more firepower on offense and the defense being a little bit better rather than, I think they were like five and eight last year in one score games or something like that you know, maybe that flips and they're eight and five. And so now all of a sudden you're, you're looking at a team that does have a ceiling to potentially get the double digit wins. I would be surprised that they got, you know, to 12 or something wins, but they do have like mathematically like the softest schedule or second softest schedule entering the season. Um, you know, that usually doesn't hold up the scrutiny once the games are actually played and, you know, certain teams overachieve and certain teams underachieve, but I do think they're scared. They, you know, that fourth place schedule does set up for this team to get above 500. So I think their floor is probably seven wins. Their ceiling is probably like 11 wins. 
you split the difference. It's probably like a nine and eight nine type eights, of the year for yeah. the Falcons. Sure. Sure. So yeah, it's, um, like I said, the Falcons are one of those interesting teams that uh, because of the division that they play in, because of the quarterback that you guys are riding with uh, this year, you bring in uh, B. John Robinson. I mean, three years in a row, you get absolute studs in the draft in Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and now B. John Robinson. It seemed like, you know, on paper at least, the one thing that it miss, isn't missing is, you know, the quarterback. And in both off seasons. Last year it was Deshaun Watson. This year the rumored mill, at least, was you know entertaining the idea about maybe going after uh, Lamar Jackson. But instead, you're sticking with uh, Desmond Ritter and, and hoping that that uh, you know will take you where you want to go uh, this year. So I mean, it's it's interesting to see if that's going going to come together. Where is Pitts in his in his rehab? Because he tore, tore an ACL against the Bears, didn't he? It was a uh, MCL. MCL. Um, okay. But given that he hasn't yet returned to practice. It, you know, some people are speculating that maybe it's a little bit more serious than the your standard MCL that maybe keeps you out a month or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I r- r- am hesitant to, to start buying into the conspiracy theories on, on Kyle Pitts' knee recovery. Okay. I just think the Falcons are being very uh, safe with him in OTAs and, and not playing him when you don't necessarily need Kyle Pitts out there for OTAs or whatnot. This is, you know, the mostly voluntary portion of the offseason. and. Right. The mandatory portion is is not that mandatory. It's not like oh my god, you you miss mandatory minicamp, your season's over, like that type of thing. So my expectation with Pitts is he'll be back, ready to go by training camp. If he's not back, ready to go by training camp, then I'll I'll start to to worry about what what's going on with Kyle Pitts' knee. But until then, I, I think the Falcons have just been playing it safe. So what's the word been out coming of like OTAs as far as like Ritter and his chemistry with say Drake London or you know his other targets besides Pitts at this point. It's been promising, right? It, you know, he showed in those final four starts last year that him and Drake London had a really strong chemistry working together. So it's just more about refining that between those two guys. It's, it's really Ritter with the other receivers. He didn't really get the chance to play with Kyle Pitts last year. Uh, they brought in Mac Hollins and Scotty Miller sort of right now. They're number two and number three receivers. And the early word has been promising with Ritter and, and especially Hollins. There hasn't been as much buzz about Scotty Miller so far, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can do. Uh, come August, and then obviously the big one is going to be, uh, you know, how does he and, and Kyle Pitts, and along with John o. Smith, uh, a tight end that they brought in this offseason, right. how do they get on the same page? So right now, like we we know Ritter and, and London are, are really strong. It's it's a kind of a question mark with the other ones, but given how strong it was with Ritter in London right off the the jump, it does make us a little bit optimistic that he'll be able to get quickly on the same page with some of these other receivers. Yeah, that's kind of what we've been hearing with with. Um... Fields and DJ Moore after the Bears uh, traded for him. Talk about the icing on the cake for that trade with the uh, with the Panthers because it's like, oh, two first-rounders, two second-rounders? Oh, that's fantastic. DJ Moore, oh, my God. You know, yeah. that's what kind of put that over the top as far as excitement. I'm, I'm not going to miss DJ Moore being in <laughs> NFC South. So I, you I know, know what? We, we still got one more game against him, but yeah. I will not miss him. I was bit. watching that Carolina game in Atlanta where P.J. Walker heaves up that prayer and DJ Moore comes down with it, puts the Falcons in a position to actually win the game, but because he spiked his helmet in celebration, it made a 33-yard extra point, a 48-yard extra pointer, and then good old Eddie Pinero, former Bears kicker, hooks it to the left or whatever and sends it to overtime before uh, – is Koo still your kicker? Yeah. Yeah, before he put it through the uprights to win that game uh, for you guys that week. I mean, just a crazy – 
crazy sequence of events. You know, just like the the utter jubilation of scoring that touchdown, coupled by the fact that he just spiked his his helmet into the ground, which is a unsportsmanlike penalty, and sent, was able to send the game to to overtime. It's just just insane turn of events there. Never have I appreciated the 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 nuances of the arbitrary rules of, of football <laughs> in the NFL. Uh, I feel yeah. like that would be, if I went back and listened to that episode, that would be a direct quote from that episode. <laughs> Never have I appreciated the arbitrary application of the rules by the referees. That's, that's so great. So, yeah. Aaron, thanks so much uh, for joining us and, and, and coming in and, and talking about the 2023 Falcons. Um, you know, you said, ask me six from, months from now how I feel about, you know, Fields and Ritter and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's the plan, bro. We got six months. Today is, what, the 21st of December or June? It's June. I don't know what's going on with me these days. But it'll be, you know, the week of New Year's Eve that uh, we're uh, going to be in line to talk again. Week 17, pretty much all of our questions will be answered about our teams at this point. Are the Falcons, you know, a division contenders at this point, or have they wrapped a division up for God forbid? You know, will the game against the Bears actually mean anything? You know, could it be a game that, that has to do for playoff seeding? Like, you know, you're a four, but you want to be a three or something like that, especially if the Bears can live up to their hype as well. So be an interesting time to uh to talk to you and I hope you're able to uh pull yourself away from the family for a little bit so uh we can we can chat about this game uh six yeah. months from now. Yeah, I, I look forward to it uh, and, and, and knowing what answers we have come to, you know, and sit here <laughs> optimistic. Hey, you know, the Falcons might be in a win and you're in, you know, sort of solidified in their playoff or, you know, we could be talking about them. Hey, maybe they should tank this game so that, you know, they're in right. the quarterback sweepstakes for uh, Caleb Williams or Drake May. So I that's the, the beauty of the NFL. Yeah. It's so unpredictable. You have no idea, you know, to wrap up, like talked about earlier, how, you know, these divisions that you think are going to be good and then they wind up stinking. Like the AFC South is probably that division, right? Where it's like everybody says, oh, that's the worst division in AFC. And it may wind up being, you know, much better than people think. And that's the beauty of the NFL because you just, it's so unpredictable. Well, yeah, last year that division was the NFC East. Did anybody see three playoff teams coming out of that division last year? And the worst team in the division was 8-8-1. and So, I mean... I don't think anybody saw that coming because they were the worst team, worst division in football in 2021. You know, they were it. It's like, you know, that was it. They were, they were terrible. And then you got three playoff teams. And at one time, all four were going to make the playoffs. And the Redskins kind of went off a cliff. Redskins, the commanders went off a cliff uh, at the end of the season there. So we'll have to wait and see. So where can we keep up with you? And uh, in the meantime, catch your show, follow you online, so on and so forth. Yeah, they can check me out on Locked Up Falcons, you know, Monday through Friday on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy snarky comments about the Atlanta Falcons, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Falcfans, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. And I also occasionally write for the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, so probably won't have much this summer, but during the season, you can check out my stuff. Sure. And the occasional Chris Conti jab. So, yes. So yes. Aaron, thanks so much uh, for joining us. We'll, we'll talk to you again in, in six whole months from now. Look forward to it. want to thank Aaron Freeman for being on the show and uh, helping us out with the uh, 
2023 preview for his Atlanta Falcons. Um, and it will be a full six months before we get to talk to him uh, again uh, because the Bears don't play Atlanta till week 17. So, uh, yeah, we will have all of these questions answered going into uh, into the final weeks. I mean, hell, the Bears and Falcons may be in a position to where they're playing for seeding uh, in the playoffs. You know, if things go the way that both of our franchises want them to go, best case scenario is we're battling for playoff spots. And, and in the two divisions that our teams currently belong in, it very well, very well may be, you know, the Bears and the Falcons might be fighting for seeding uh, in the NFC. Um, wouldn't that just be fantastic? So that game week 17 in Chicago might actually mean something. Would be very, very interesting. So, um, But that's going to close the book on the Falcons. We'll now move on to the New Orleans Saints. And our good friend Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints will be joining us uh, on Thursday to talk about what's going on with his Saints uh, you know, the how he feels about them finally moving on uh, or moving on to uh, Derek Carr. Is he excited about that uh, and everything else that's going on uh, with the Saints uh, going into this season, coming off a disappointing 7-10 uh, year? They had a decent, seems like they had a decent uh, draft. Ask him how he feels about that and then look forward uh, to 2023 uh, when the Bears and the Saints meet up week 9. Uh, this season so we'll uh, come back on Thursday for that then we'll close the book on the NFC South with the Buccaneers on next Tuesday which just happens to be the 4th of July so celebrate your 4th with me and uh, previewing the uh, the Buccaneers uh, for 2023 and then we'll move on to our NFC North brethren and uh, get this series wrapped up so we can get that much closer to training camp the preseason and the 2023 regular season. So come on back Thursday for our 2023 opponent preview Saints episode. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.